have a seat. Thank you, music team. What an amazing truth that nothing can separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, good morning, Coastal. It's been a nice weekend, hadn't it? Nice weather, snowy weather. I was telling Braden, my wife, that uh, I like it when it snows. We live next to a, a, a professional landscaper, and it's the one time of year that our lawns look the same. So <laughs> it's really nice. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Uh, we're going to continue on with our series called Pursuit, where Pastor Sean's been looking at different uh, conversations Christ has had uh, with different people throughout the New Testament. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Whether you're a Christ follower, follower in this room or not, uh, everybody has experienced the, the overwhelming feeling of getting something that we don't deserve, haven't we? Maybe it's the, the, the uh, unrelenting love of a, a mother or a father or the forgiveness of a spouse, the forgiveness of someone that we've hurt. We've all, we've all felt this, this undeserved gift, and I want to look at a man who felt the most undeserved gift that anyone could ever feel, and that's Zacchaeus feeling the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to look at this encounter that Jesus had with Zacchaeus. It's an encounter that's only recorded in the book of Luke. Okay, just real quick before we, we dive in, there's 10 verses that are dedicated to this encounter that Jesus had with Zacchaeus. And Luke, the, the only Gentile to ever write a portion of Scripture, he's the one that authored it. Um, he wrote both Luke and Acts. Uh, he was a close companion to the Apostle Paul, and, uh, and he was a physician. And we see in Luke chapter 1, and I'm not going to go over it now. If you want to, you can go over it on your own time. But we see the reason that he wrote the book of Luke was to give an orderly account um, of, of the things that, that he was a witness to, of the things that he had heard about, of the things that, he, that uh, the Apostle Paul testified about. He wrote it to a man by the name of Theophilus. And so you can find the reason, the purpose for uh, Luke's writings in Luke chapter 1. And, uh, but we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. Look with me in, the, in these 10 verses Real briefly, Luke says, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Pray with me and then we'll, we'll dive into these ten verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that salvation rests in you, Lord. That those who are found in Christ Jesus are eternally secure. That no one, no, nothing in this world, nothing that we do, Lord, um, can ever separate us from that. And so, Lord, as we look at this thing called grace, this undeserving gift that we have, Lord. I pray that you would draw us closer to you, God. 
Thank you for your truth, Lord. Thank you for your unchanging word. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I think one of the greatest things in all of Scripture is found in this passage. When, when Luke concludes the story of Zacchaeus, he says this. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's an amazing truth. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And the foundational thing before we even look at this text that you have to understand in order to understand this passage of Scripture is that God is a seeker and the only reason that, and he's the only reason that we're saved. God is a seeker and he's the only reason that we're saved. See, God, he's got he's to seek us out otherwise we couldn't be saved from the penalty of our sin. I want you to think for a minute about the account of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. See, God created man, Adam and Eve, right? The first man and the first woman, and they enjoyed perfect fellowship with God because sin's yet to enter in the picture. And we all know the story of, of Eve goes and she takes the fruit that the serpent tempted her to, to eat of that, that God said was forbidden. He said, this is, the, this is the thing that you can't do. And Eve ate of the fruit, and then Adam grabs the fruit, and Adam eats of the fruit, and then we see sin enter the, the picture, and sin separates them from God. And the very first thing that they do once they realize that they're sinful, right, and, after, and they realize that they're naked, they go and they hide themselves. Genesis 3.8 gives us the account. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, what? Hid. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man and said, what? Where are you? God is in the garden seeking for his people in this passage. Ezekiel 34, 16 reiterates, the prophet Ezekiel, he's, he's quoting God, God's speaking through him. He says, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This is crucial for you to understand this morning because this is great news for you and I, Right? That we have a God who not only created us, but even after we sinned, even after we separated ourselves from God, he seeks us out. The mission of Jesus Christ, isn't, it isn't to accuse, it isn't to condemn. The mission of Jesus Christ is to seek us and to save us from the penalty of our sin. The Greek word here, seek, it, uh, it carries the idea of searching for a lost object. We're that lost object that Christ is searching for. I want you to think of Jesus. When John tells us, he, he paints the picture of Jesus being the good shepherd in John 10, 14 through 16. I love this. He says, I am, uh, God, Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The good shepherd searches for the sheep. The Greek word save here, it, it carries the idea of rescuing or healing, and not necessarily the, the rescuing, or not necessarily the healing in the sense of, of Jesus healing us from disease or for. for from illness, even though that can happen. But specifically in this passage, it's, it's, it's rescuing us and healing us from what sin has created, and that's death. And then the, the, the second death, that's, that's eternal separation from God the Father. That's the saving that Jesus Christ does. 
John 3, 17 states, God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Luke 15 tells us of the, the parable of the lost sheep, of how Christ leaves the 99 in order to find the one. That's how dedicated Christ is to finding those of us who have gone astray. And then later in Luke chapter 15, and again, this is just a, a few chapters before our text, you, you see the, the story of uh, uh, the prodigal son, right? And this prodigal son, he's, he's, he's left and he's uh, left his father and he's, and he's taken this money, he's burned through this money and he's, he's hit rock bottom and he realizes that he needs to go back to his father. He realizes the weightiness of his disobedience and he comes anticipating that the father would, would maybe take him as, in as a servant, but that's about as good as it could get, that he could never again be welcomed as a son. And I love what happens when the father sees him. It says in Luke 15 later, it says that the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a beautiful picture of reconciliation, isn't it? That the father ran to the son and he restored him to his former place. That's the mission of Jesus Christ. That's the mission of Jesus Christ. And it's foundational to, to, to what we're going to talk about this morning. And so, and so with that foundation built, this is what I want to do, is I want to look at the, these, these 10 verses, just one by one, and we're going to first examine the man Zacchaeus, and then we're going to shift our focus to Jesus Christ, okay? And so look with me in verse 1 here. It says, <clears throat> talking about Jesus, it says, Jesus, he entered Jericho, and was passing through. Okay, picture in your head um, this very desirable location. Okay, that's what I want you to picture. That's what Jericho is, okay? It's a, it's a place where uh, Sean's Seattle Seahawks are taken seriously as a football team. <laughs> I'm not even a football guy. I don't watch football. I just thought that was make a football joke. It gets in the way of my soap operas. The... Uh, it's a very desirable location. Jericho was one of the wealthiest uh, and most beautiful cities in Palestine. It was a, a very desirable place to live. Okay? It, had, it had theaters. It had beautiful architecture. The land was very fertile, so it was easy to grow crops there. It was a, a, a trade city. And so because of that, it's naturally going to draw all kinds of people to the city. There were a ton of people there. Okay, and, and there's some people that were by our standards, not by God's standards, but by our standards, good people. And then naturally, there, there's going to be corrupt people and there's going to be sin and, and, and there's going to be things that are going on that shouldn't be taking place, okay? This was, this was kind of the, the setting of Jericho here. And, God, and Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, decides to pass through, okay? And it says, look in verse 2, it says, and there was a man named Zacchaeus, this is our first, first picture of him here. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich, okay? So we find out a few things just from this verse about the man Zacchaeus. Uh, uh, we all knowing through the song, what, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a 
little man was he. Joel's going to come back up and sing that in a few minutes. So we'll be excited. This is, this is Zacchaeus. The name Zacchaeus, it, it means clean, innocent, uh, pure, and righteous, which we'll see uh, as we progress through the text that he was quite the opposite of this, isn't he? He's not clean. He's not pure. He's not righteous. But Christ is going to make him that way. Okay, uh, outside of Matthew, Zacchaeus, <clears throat> he's the only named tax collector in the Gospels. Found that interesting. And according to one, and this isn't in the Bible, but according to one of our church fathers, uh, Clement of Alexandria, it's because Zacchaeus became a prominent leader uh, in the Christian church. He actually became a pastor of a church in Caesarea and was later uh, the, the guy who took the church over from him was known, he was the first Christian Gentile named Cornelius, who we learn about in Scripture. And so... Um, uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, church history thinks that, that Zacchaeus was listed because the people would know who he is that were hearing this story in the early church, okay? Um, our text states that he was a chief tax collector, okay? He wasn't just a, another tax collector, but he's a chief tax collector. And we'll look a few minutes, uh, in, in a few minutes, we'll look at verse 8 that kind of tells us about his corruption, okay? So he was this chief tax collector, and if he did his job honestly, he would have been rich just, because, just from doing his job, Okay? But he got super rich because he was corrupt. And what got him even richer is that the, all, there were all these tax collectors underneath him, okay? Collecting taxes. And, 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 and they, were, they were equally corrupt. And so he was getting what, what these tax collectors were also collecting. So imagine that for a minute. He's taxing people more than what they, they should be taxed. And he's given to the, the, the Roman government. Um, what they asked for, but he's keeping all the extra stuff for himself, okay? And he gets paid on top of that, and then the tax collectors underneath him are collecting taxes more than what they need to collect, and he's getting what they collect as well. And so this makes this guy super rich. He's the boss of all tax collectors. People didn't like that very much, as you could imagine. He wasn't a popular guy in Jericho. And, and two major reasons why is, first off, he, he had a reputation for being corrupt. All tax collectors had a reputation for being corrupt. People didn't like tax collectors in the time um, of Jesus' day. Uh, they were often levying taxes beyond what was required, hoping to fill their own pockets. And secondly, uh, tax collectors for Jewish society, um, they were themselves Jews who sold out to this Gentile Roman government, okay? And so it was, they gave off, it was kind of the, these Jews working against their own people, okay? And so those two things really set them far apart from the rest of society. People didn't want anything to do with them, okay? Um, and like I said, he was in the rich of taxing people way more than he was supposed to tax people. And he filled uh, the lining of his pockets. This man, he was a, a habitual thief, Everybody knew of his corruption, but they, they couldn't do anything about it. They were helpless. And so he was treated as a, an outcast. There's probably some people that kind of pop in your head when I say that, aren't there? People who are living dishonest today. People who, uh, they're constantly holding their hands out asking for your money, right? Some of these people are called children. Uh, But we can all think of these type of people that, that are secure because of the hard work of other people. In most cases, they're not, they're not really liked. Look on with me through the text in verses 3 and 4. It says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. 
So as we noted early, Jesus, he's passing through Jericho, okay? He's passing through this beautiful, beautiful city here, and he's not alone, okay? I want you to picture the streets. They're, they're crowded with people. There's a ton of people because there's a ton of people that live there anyway. There's a ton of people that are coming out to see this man, Jesus Christ, and they're asking themselves questions that some of you may be asking this morning. Who is this man, Jesus Christ? Can he, can he really make a difference in my life? Can he, can he heal my broken heart? Can he fix my marriage? Can he, can he help my children? Is this guy the savior of the world? I could imagine what was running through the heads of, other, of, of the people of Jericho as, as they heard news of Jesus passing through and then, and then they see this, this man coming to town. Surely the testimony of Lazarus, this is after Jesus has already raised Lazarus from the dead, so surely the testimony of Lazarus has kind of already spread through the rumor mill and people are hearing that this man has raised another man from the dead. This man has resurrection power. I got to see it. I need to see it. I can't wait to see what he does next. Everybody wants to see what he's going to do next. He had everybody's attention at this point in his ministry. There were massive crowds. And you also got to think of the pilgrims, right, that, that traveled with Jesus, all these people that were following Jesus wherever he went. So he was, he was probably traveling with a ton of people as well. And, and um, at this point in his ministry, he's, he's gained a lot of popularity. They don't want to kill him quite yet, right? He's gained a lot of popularity and people want to, they want to listen to what he has to say in Zacchaeus is no exception. However, because of his stature, he's prevented from seeing Jesus from the ground. He's too short, right? Like any of us that stand next to Joel on stage, very Zacchaeus-like. He can't, he can't see because everybody around him is, is blocking his sight. And so Zacchaeus, he does the unthinkable, okay? He, he, he completely humiliates himself. He climbs a tree in order to see Jesus, the person and work of Christ causes us to abandon our pride and reputation. The person and work of Christ causes us to abandon our pride and reputation. See, climbing a tree in the first century, that wasn't an acceptable thing to do. It's not like what we picture in our heads of climbing a tree, oh, no big deal. This was humiliating, okay? And then I want you to also remember, we've built this case already of, of Zacchaeus being this, this guy who wasn't liked by people, okay? He, and so... So anytime that he could slip under the radar and go unnoticed, he was going to take that opportunity, right? He didn't want to be noticed by other people because people didn't like him and, and it would humiliate him to, to be mocked by people or maybe even his safety would, uh, would be a, an issue. And so he, he wants to slip under the radar, but climbing a sycamore tree, people know he's there, right? He's not slipping under the radar there. He wants to see Jesus. He longs to see Jesus. And so he risks the exposure and he, and he risks his safety in orders to see this, this man that they call Jesus, that they say has resurrection power and performs all these miracles. It's the equivalent, I'm reminded of David dancing in 2 Samuel chapter 6 when the Ark of the Covenant is brought back to the city of Jerusalem. The text states, as the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. David didn't care. He was worshiping God, wasn't he? And a lot of times we come in here and, and, and we, go, we, we worship God together and, and we, we, we leave this building and we go out to our everyday lives and, and we're kind of these these in-the-closet Christians sometimes, right? We're, we're wanting to fit 
into the culture because we're like, man, I don't want them to think I'm some weirdo. David wasn't concerned about it. His, his concern was worshiping God. Zacchaeus wasn't concerned about it. He longed to see this man, Jesus. And what could God do in a church that just longed to see Jesus? Amen? What could God do in a church that abandoned our pride, that, uh, that abandoned our, our reputation or whatever, and we were concerned about worshiping Christ in spirit and in truth no matter what the cost was? No matter if it cost us our safety. Jesus was up front when he said in Luke 9, 23, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and what? And follow me. Pastor Sean's told on this several times, but the cross in, in the time of Jesus, it wasn't this thing that we hang around our neck, right? It was an instrument of death that when Jesus Christ said to follow him meant to pick up his cro your cross and, fo and follow after him. He was saying, pick up your instrument of death. Pick up this thing that you're, most th you're more than likely going to get killed, right? We, we hear that almost everybody who followed after Christ in the other church was martyred for their faith. The cost was great. Zacchaeus wasn't concerned about his safety. He was concerned about seeing Jesus. What keeps you from God this morning? Is it, is it your pride or your, your arrogance? Is it your desire to fit into the culture? Is it the shame of your past sins? Is it the uncertainty of letting go? For the church this morning, what, what's keeping you from obedience to Christ? Is it, is it the fear of being taken out of your comfort zone? Or is it, is it the fear that obedience may cost you too much? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a, uh, he was a German pastor, theologian, author, uh, and martyr uh, during the rise of Adolf Hitler, actually attempted to assassinate Adolf Hitler. And, um, uh, and he writes this, uh, uh, this kind of piece that I love that, that distinguishes between uh, what's called cheap grace and costly grace. And listen to what he says. He says, cheap grace, which is the grace we often compromise on, is the grace that we often settle for in our own lives. Cheap, cheap grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And then he shifts and he says, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price, which to buy the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye that causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. It's costly because it cost a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it cost God his son. Ye were bought at a price, and what God, what cost God much cannot be cheap for us. See, Zacchaeus here, he's in such a state of desperation that he abandoned his pride, maybe even his safety, so he could see the God-man Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt the same desperation that Zacchaeus feels here in this story? 
Have you ever felt the, the overwhelming need to see Jesus Christ? Look with me in verse 5. It says, and when Jesus came, Jesus finally passes through, right? He looked up and said to him, I love this, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house tonight. He said, we're going to have dinner at your place. A few things that I want to note about this passage of scripture. First is Jesus knows Zacchaeus. He's never met Zacchaeus before. Zacchaeus has never met Jesus, right? We see that because of how he longs to see Jesus Christ. This is a first encounter, but Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. And so it's the same with you and I. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, completely eternal, active with God in the creation of man, that guy knows your name. He knows my name. He reminds us of that in Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, the first part of verse 5. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. You are known by your creator. God knows you and he has a sovereign plan for your life. God knows you and he has a sovereign plan for your life. Secondly, in this verse, we see the sovereignty of God over salvation. And I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for that. Because if it was left to me, it wouldn't happen. Zacchaeus, or Jesus says to Zacchaeus, he says, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. This isn't a request. He's not saying, hey, do you think we can go over to your house and hang out for a bit? Jesus is saying, you need to come out of the tree because I'm making my way to your house. That's what's going on in this passage of scripture. This is God's preordained moment before the foundation of the world to save Zacchaeus from the penalty of his sin. Jesus, he didn't just happen to, to stumble across Zacchaeus. He wasn't just passing through Jericho and he saw Zacchaeus in a tree. J Jesus went to Jericho to seek and save the lost Zacchaeus. That was the mission. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. 1 Timothy 1.15 states, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Jesus Christ came to save you. And I love the next verse. Look how Zacchaeus responds, right? We, we haven't been introduced to the Holy Spirit yet, the third person of the Trinity, because we see uh, the Holy Spirit... Uh, uh, come in, 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 in the day of Pentecost, right? In the, in the book of Acts, which Luke also authors, okay? But, but the Holy Spirit, because he's also God, he's eternal, and so he's there, right? And he's already been working on the heart of Zacchaeus, okay? And, and so you see the, the Trinity at work in, in this entire passage of Scripture, and, and the Holy Spirit has been preparing Zacchaeus for the day he was going to meet his Savior, Jesus Christ. So he prepares this wretched, wretched man, this, this sinner that no one wants anything to do with for the encounter, the life-changing encounter. And this is how Zacchaeus responds. It says, so he hurried. And he came down, and because he's little, I see his little legs kind of flapping like this. He's hurrying, he's, he's coming down, and he wants to receive him joyfully. 
He received him joyfully. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Lord's already softened Zacchaeus. So we see this habitual thief here. We see, we see him take the risk of being seen out in public, first off. Then we see him make a further mock, mockery of himself by climbing a tree and doing this humiliating act so he can see this man, Jesus Christ. And now he responds joyfully when Jesus calls his name. He can't wait to get out of that tree to meet Jesus Christ. He's shocked, right? He's, he's shocked that Jesus Christ would know his name. He was hoping to just get a glimpse of Christ. He was hoping to just, just hopefully see him from a distance, from up in the tree. He never would have thought that Jesus would call his name and invite himself over. But that's exactly what Jesus does. When God calls you, he'll give you the strength to respond appropriately. When God calls you, he'll give you the strength to respond appropriately. Hey, everything about Zacchaeus was wrong. Everything about him was selfish. Zacchaeus was a taker. But God, the power of the Holy Spirit in this encounter with Jesus Christ, he changed his want-tos, didn't he? He changed his heart. So no longer did Zacchaeus want to take and take and take. No longer did Zacchaeus want to establish this, this, this false sense of security through, through wealth and, 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 and not worry about the people around him. He, he now changes him from this taker to this giver. Radically changes this man who's who, this habitual thief. And skip down to verse 8 with me. We'll come back to verse 7. But for the sake of, of us seeing the, the heart change of Zacchaeus, I want to point out verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That was more, by the way, than the required amount. Of, of paying back for someone you've wronged. Zacchaeus was going over and beyond what was required by Jewish law. Okay? True repentance is turning away from sin and toward Jesus Christ. Turning away from sin and toward Jesus Christ. And it's funny, when I was first writing this sermon, I put that this was a radical response of repentance on behalf of Zacchaeus. But the more I was studying, the more the Holy Spirit was working on me, I realized this, was, this is a normal response this is how it ought to be in the lives of believers. This is how we should worship the person of Jesus Christ for what he's done. He turned away from sin and he strained his gaze in his life toward Jesus Christ. It's the same principle that Paul talked about when he stated in Philippians 3.8. Paul said, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Does this ring true of your life? Do you have the attitude of a repent of Zacchaeus? When I think about the grace of God, this undeserving gift, it humbles me. You know, it's not, it's not and I don't want you to misunderstand this passage. This isn't, uh, man, he's, is he working toward a salvation? Did he have to give these goods in order for Christ to save him? No. I, like I was saying earlier, the Holy Spirit's already been working in his heart to the things that the Lord was doing. But this repentance, this, even him giving back things that he's stolen, he fourfold. This is the result of a life changed by Jesus Christ, not the cause of it. We're justified by faith, not by works, right? So, so Jesus comes into the picture, and, 
and he changes Zacchaeus' life, and we see a man who responds appropriately. He responds with a repentant heart, and he's committed to following after this God-man, Jesus Christ. Look back at me with verse 7. I want you to see the response of the people here. Verse 7, it says, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. This is the attitude of the religious people. And to help you kind of understand that culture, the, the, the Pharisaic teaching leaned heavily on both law and tradition. Okay? They, they, wanted to, they had to be separate from these people that they, they uh, said were morally unclean, okay? that, that didn't follow their way of life um, point to point. Okay, and so, so instead of trying to help these people uh, live the life that they believe was right, they outcast them. These people are grafted out of the plan that God has for salvation, and they're not going to deal with them. They're outcast, okay? And so remember, at this point, Jesus had everybody's attention, okay? He's kind of the rock star of the first century at this, at this point. People don't want to kill him, all right, at this point in his ministry. People want to see him do something amazing here. They want to see him do something miraculous at this point. And, then, and so Jesus, is, he's healed the sick, and he's done all these miracles, okay? And he's, he's raised Lazarus from the dead, and, and these people are gathered just to see the next point. And they all have expectations, right? They all think they know what Jesus Christ is supposed to do. And by the way, I think a lot of us do that in our own life as we paint God the way we want God and, and not the God who is the God of the Bible. And these people were no different. They had God in, in this sort of mold that they said, okay, here's what he's been doing, so here's where he's going to go, okay? And, and Jesus does something they absolutely detest. He invites himself over to the house of a man who's a sinner, to a man who's morally, and he's an outcast, complete outcast. People in the time of Jesus, they didn't associate with these types of people. It didn't happen. These types of people are you and I. These types of people are the people that Christ died for. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Hey, if you're in this room this morning, you say, well, it, you don't know what I've done. I say, your past doesn't matter. And you say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know how wretched of a person I am. Jesus loved Zacchaeus and called Zacchaeus. Jesus loved the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1.15. The Bible teaches us that, that the Apostle Paul was the chief of sinners. He was the worst sinner who ever lived. And so on your best, worst day, you have to be the second worst sinner to ever walk the earth. But Jesus saved the Apostle Paul, the chief of sinners. Your past sins do not void the overwhelming grace of God. Joel was talking about that just a minute ago, that no matter what's happened in your past, it doesn't separate you from the grace of God. Real quick, I love these final two verses because Christ welcomes the sinner into the family of God. He grafts him back, grafts him back in, right? Does the thing the Jews think is detestable. He says, and Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Our closing scene with Zacchaeus is absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Just one chapter before, what I think um, 
gives the story even greater context and greater understanding. It's just a chapter before. And I'd encourage you to go and look. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is talking about uh, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's that passage of it's easier for the camel to enter the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God, right? And he's not condemning. If you have a lot of money in this room, he's not saying that having money is bad, right? It's the, it's the love of money. It's when the money becomes the driving motive of your heart, when that's the thing which you, you build upon, okay? That's, that's what he's talking about when he uses the term rich, Okay, and he's saying these people that are consumed with their wealth, these people that are consumed with material things, the people that are consumed with the things that this world has to offer, it's easier for the camel to enter the eye of a needle than it is for these type of people to inherit the kingdom of God. That sounds near about impossible, right? And then what I love is just the next chapter over, he does the very thing that this audience has just been told is impossible. Jesus Christ performs the miracle. Whether or not the early church got that, I don't know. But Jesus Christ performs the miracle of saving this wretched rich man. Jesus came and he rescued Zacchaeus and he rescues us from the wrath of God the Father. Because it's because God is holy that he demands satisfaction for our transgressions, for the sins that we've committed. And therefore Christ steps in in our place. And he becomes the satisfaction that God's holiness demands. Charles Spurgeon once stated, he said, He died for our sins. Speaking of Jesus, he died for our sins and he was raised again for our justification. That is, for our clearance. As the cross paid the debt, resurrection took the bond and ran it into pieces. And now there is nothing standing in the records of eternity against any soul that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. His rising from the dead has made us clear from every charge. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yes, rather, that is risen again. That rising again has cleared us from all the sins that can ever be laid to our charge. Amen, right? Amen. The mission of Jesus Christ on earth was to seek and to save the lost. And I love what he says to Zacchaeus that today is the day of salvation. In Hebrews 4 states, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today if you hear your voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for salvation, God. Thank you for grace and mercy, Lord. And, and thank you that, uh, Lord, nothing can separate us from spending an eternity to you, those of us who are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray that if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, God, that you would seek them as you sought Zacchaeus, God, and as you have searched and saved those of us who are found in you. God, I pray that same thing for the lost person in here. God, I pray for the overwhelming feeling of grace, God, Lord, I pray for the believers in this room, God, they would be reminded that grace is costly and that we would live our lives in thanksgiving to that truth, Lord. So thank you for salvation. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.